Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. So I want to start the second part of a series that I'm doing. It's called Ask It, and it's where we allow you to ask the questions, and I do my best to answer them uh, from uh, from the platform. So I've been doing this every other year, probably uh, for about six years. And uh, so uh, this is the second part of Ask It 2023. So no question is off limits, so you can ask questions about the Bible, its origin, doctrines, or or practices. You can ask questions about our faith, discipleship, problems you may be going through, questions about church, relationships, those kind of things, or our culture, trends, politics, media, issues of social, social justice, and how all of that interacts in faith. So there's no question that's off limits. Jesus got some of his great sermons in response to questions that people were thinking. So that's why I do this. I think I've already received for this series 27 questions. Uh, So I'm going to do my best to get get through as many as I can. So this will probably be the last day for this series. If you've got a question, there's a card in front of you in the card pocket. Uh, You can write your question out, put it in uh, the drop box out there. You can do it anonymously. You can sign your name. You can send me an email. Half of my questions come in just from email. Even if I know who you are, I don't use your name up here anyway. So just want to mention that. So last week, the questions from last week were, We read a lot in the Bible about concubines and multiple wives. What is with that? So we walked through that question last uh, last week. Uh, what about people who have died, returned to life, and have had visions of heaven? Is that real? We talked about that. And then we ended with why pray? Does praying for something really affect the outcome? For example, can prayer really change something like someone's earthly healing or not? So we talked about the, the great dynamic of God's, you know, God's sovereign will and the role of prayer and faith and kind of how they that interacts. And then, man, at the end, we just spoke to mountains. We had a powerful time of just prayer and, and, and believing God to do some great things. So that was last week. So, all right, question number one this week. So let's don't warm up. Let's jump right on in, okay? What is your viewpoint on using medical marijuana and or CBD products, okay? So also I want to add to this question as well uh, because I'm I'm in that area about uh, recreational marijuana. So I want to tie all of that together. So I'm not... I'm not surprised at the question. I get, you know, like every uh, two years, I get questions about this because laws are changing, culture is changing, thinking is changing on this. So I, I think we're about to see a change in Florida that I want to address as well. So if you drive down Tennessee Street close to the FSU campus, man, yeah, you can see lots of shops, lots of places that you can buy different things. I mean, you know you got an issue when they're closing down restaurants to open up cannabis shops, okay? That's when I go, hey, I'm taking that personal. 
when you're limiting my food options there. So, uh, so let's, let's look at this <clears throat> for a moment. So the question was, what is your viewpoint on medical marijuana and or CBD pro CDB products? So when it, when it comes to medical marijuana, okay, uh, federal law prevents all use of all forms of just unrestricted marijuana, but 38 states allow medical use of medical marijuana to treat pain, nausea, and other symptoms, uh, you know, to, to ease pain and to maybe help with quality of life. They are, it is used, for example, uh, in cases of epilepsy, nausea, vomiting that comes by cancer and, and chemotherapy. Uh, so on, on this, on the medical marijuana, as I see it, I'm just giving you a biblical opinion here. It seems that if it's treated as any other pharmaceutical or drug and that there's some therapeutic benefit, if people are being helped with that, I don't see a problem with that as long as it's, you know, kind of regulated like, like other, like other uh, uh, pharmaceuticals. So what about CBDs? All right, CBD is a chemical compound found naturally in the cannabis plant. It does not contain THC or the psychoactive component of cannabis responsible for making users feel high. It's also the addictive component as well to marijuana. They've kind of removed that. So it's advertised as an over-the-counter option providing relief for anxiety, depression, post-traumatic uh, post disorder, uh, among other things. So I would say, again, as I answer the first two parts of this, in my opinion, as long as there is FDA approval, normal government oversight prescribed by a local physician, this should be treated like any other medication with no concerns. Now, I want to say, too, that if you are struggling with anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, it would be my hope that you are speaking to a physician or a counselor or a pastor or a believer somewhere that that can journey with you through this because those kinds of issues is mu are much deeper than just a medical answer. So, you know, if this is kind of, if they're rolling this, if it's kind of normal and these things are treated like other medications and there's government and physician oversight and all that kind of stuff, I don't see an issue uh, with those. If there's a therapeutic benefit to that, I don't see an issue with those. My concern in this whole thing is about addictions and the trouble that comes with addicted lifestyles. So I tagged onto this question about recreational marijuana as well because it's probably going to be on the ballot here in Florida very soon. Now, recreational marijuana use is already allowed in nine states. Florida probably uh, is going to be the 10th. There's a constitutional amendment that's working its way through the legislature now that would allow anyone 21 years of age or older to own, buy, or use marijuana products and accessories for recreation, not just through medical consumption. This can be done through smoking, ingestion, and other methods. So, 
You've got to have 850,000 signatures to get on the ballot this coming fall in Florida. So this organization, we already ha- they already have 650,000 signatures. So it would not surprise me if this is going to be on the ballot. And it would, surely wouldn't surprise me, unfortunately, if it passes. So I am going to speak against this and vote against this. And I want to tell you why. Okay, because I, I think my life experience in the ministry, in dealing with people that have lived their life under the influence, it might be a little different maybe than your perspective because I've always dealt with the back end of addicted life. Okay, I've seen it firsthand and I deal with it on a regular basis almost my entire adult life working with students working with young adults working with adults I've seen the bankruptcy that comes jail you know uh, lost jobs shattered families broken dreams that that happen through living a life under the influence of drugs or alcohol so I do have concerns about the recreational marijuana use the other if it's regulated by your doctors and those kind of things, I don't guess I necessarily have an issue with that. But this I am concerned about. The Bible talks about living life under the influence of things not, you know, not ab- about the Lord. It speaks specifically with drunkenness and the, you know, the the lifestyle or the the after effects that come with drunkenness. But but drugs would be the same. It's living a life under the influence of things, you know, uh, external kind of things. The Bible warns us about this, Galatians 5. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, uh, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, he got a whole bunch of bad lists there, okay? That whole, that whole list you don't want to be a part of. He said, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? So the, the end result of a life under the influence is, you know, this kind of uh, inebriated state. Now, I, I want to share some concerns, practical concerns about this because I have young adults that are here, and chances are, that this law is, you know, you know, you know, Florida. It could, it could change, and this is going to change the dynamic of how we deal with it. Especially as parents, we've always had the law. Kind of, this is against the law, you know. So don't do this. Now that that underpinning of that argument may change. So we need to think through what that's going to look like. So my concerns with a life under the influence, drugs or alcohol, is it impairs your judgment and ability to think clearly. It impairs your judgment to uh, it impairs your judgment and ability to think clearly. Clearly, so you just do a search of the scripture under drunken drunkenness. Okay, just just kind of work your way through that and just see the examples that come up, starting with Noah. Other examples as well. Proverbs twenty three says, "Don't be among the drunkards, for the drunkard will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags." All right, so people get high because they love the euphoria, the high feeling that it that comes. But it's not it's not a a, a feeling that comes alone. 
When that feeling comes, there's an impairment of our judgment and our ability to think clearly. It clouds our decision making. That is why there are DUIs and wrecks that kill people and they hurt others and they and they hurt themselves. So when your judgment is affected through external, you know, alcohol or drugs, there is no cognitive barrier to the sin-filled side of our heart and it just takes over. When we're, when we're high, when we're under the influence, that those boundaries that we normally have, they are gone, and the evil side of our heart tends to emerge. Not tends to emerge, it emerges. That's why you don't hear like there was 12 people and they were drunk and they went and donated food to a homeless shelter and volunteered. It doesn't happen that way. Because when the, bar- when the judgment is clouded and the barriers are gone, the evil part of our heart emerges and it takes over. That's where petty crimes happen and violent crimes and murders and relationships happen because of the, it impairs our judgment and, and every, every value, every boundary and border that we've had is gone and evil reigns. It also it provides a pathway to addiction, okay, and which is my concern. It starts socially, it starts with curiosity, and then we, we're doing it because everyone else do, does it, and then before long, what happens is there, there is a chemical and psychological craving that takes over in your life, and once you establish, and there's an addictive quality in your heart, you have to have more and more to satisfy this. So that's where my concern for the, the recreational drug you know law here that's that's that that's my that's my concern but for adolescents and young adults this recreational marijuana can become a gateway drug to all kinds of addictions but you're going to think it's legal and it, so it's okay but I'm telling you it is a pathway to a life of slavery and addiction and you don't even want to start down that pathway you don't even want to start there National Survey on Drug Use, listen to me, says 90% of people currently using hard drugs like heroin started with marijuana. So when people go, these apologists go, no, it's not, it's, you know, NARAL, it's not a gateway drug. They are living a fantasy there. That is not true. And it's also people who are for this law that have a commercial and financial interest in these kind of things passing. I don't make any money either way. I just don't want to see young people slave to adults and the state of Florida is opening the door to their addiction. I don't want to see it. I had a... I had a young man when I was youth pastor. I knew him. I went to school with him. But he started a pathway to drugs and addiction, and it started with marijuana. And then, man, he got into crack and heavy, hard drugs for a long period of time. I went to school with him. I lost, I lost contact with him. And then he showed up at church. And one Sunday morning... This guy who'd been a long time addict. God saved him. God set him free. God did a work in his life. And, and that, that God just helped him and forgave him and gave him hope that he can overcome that addiction. But I want to say all the years of hard drug use had affected him. 
He wasn't the same person that I knew from school. He was cloudy. He wasn't focused. It was, you know, just having some issues with his life because he had done some damage in his mind. So he came to my office the Monday morning after he got saved and he brought a bag and he put it on my desk and he said, here's my declaration. So I open it up. It's a bong pipe, rolling papers, spoons, you know, everything that he needed for that. And he said, I want you to keep this and just remind me, you know, that I'm not going back. Well, I thought verbally I can remind you, but I don't know about keeping drug paraphernalia in my church office. Okay? Now listen to me. Even though he started his new life in Christ, he had done some mental and emotional damage to his mind. He wasn't the same person. You don't hear that out there. You don't see it on the movies. You don't see your movie stars with all this. You don't see it. But he had done some damage to his mind. He was having trouble keeping a job. Even though he was trying, he was at church. He came by the church one day. He said, look, I'm just broke. Do you have any work that I can do? I said, actually, I have a flat tire. Can you, if you'll change my flat tire, I will pay you. So he said, sure, I'll be glad to do it. Well, I wasn't paying attention. I was kind of in the church, you know, doing some things. About 45 minutes later, he walked in the church, and he's carrying the front bumper of my car. I couldn't breathe. I was speechless, and he said, it's going to be easier for me to get to the tire if this is out of the way. <laughs> oh, God helped me that morning. God helped me. And I want to say it cost me much more to have my bumper put back on correctly as well. All right? Now listen to me. Paul says this. All things are lawful for me. And this is going to be, especially if this law changes. Every young adult, you're going to have to face this. All things are lawful for me, but I will be enslaved by nothing. There may be things that are out there that are legal for me, but I'm going to realize the damage of this, and I'm not walking down that pathway. I want to say to young adults here about a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol, it adds very little to your life, but it can take away a lot. You don't see people who are successful in business, academics, or sports, when they get their trophy or award, go, I want to thank the role that drug use had in my life. They don't say that. But how many people do you know that have had broken lives and shattered dreams? They had talents and giftings as well. But they, they, got, they, they got involved with addictions, and it cost them Everything. So it says, 1 Corinthians or Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I want to say too, because young adults and believers in our church, you're going to have this option where it's legal, you know, as well. But I want to say as a believer, it would be harmful to your testimony and to other people that you influence as, as, as well. I've never seen anyone who has a drug issue help bring people closer to God. I've never seen anyone that is growing in their faith regularly use drugs. You don't need it. Paul said this at one time, we were foolish, disobedient, and deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, envy, being hated, hated by one another. But when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us not from the righteous things we have done, but by his mercy. We don't need it. 
It's in our past. All right. I want to say too, if you have an addiction issue, all right, we would love to talk to you. You are welcome here. You know, we want to reboot our living free ministry in the fall. It's a ministry for those with life controlling issues. That would be addictions or anything. Okay. Any kind of thing that you're facing. So if you feel like you need that kind of ministry, I want you to see Kelsey, or maybe you could help us on that lead team. We would love to talk to you about that. All right. Question number, question number two. Question number two. Pastor Brian, I'm same-sex attracted. What should I do? I'm same-sex attracted. What should I do? So this question, I'm going to have to make some assumptions about this because it's just one plain sentence. So I'm going to make some assumptions about this and answer based on those assumptions because I don't have any other other kind of information. So I'm going to because this was turned into the church, so I'm going to assume this is someone who follows Jesus, who attends Generations Church. It is a believer who is struggling with this, okay? So I want to say, first of all, thank you for your question. Thank you for attending. Thank you for taking a risk and asking a question that might be a little uncomfortable for you. You acknowledge this, and because, you know, I get questions like this all the time, So I'm going to answer this question because the issue is important to me, but also you are important to me as well. So let me answer it this way kind of as quickly as I can, all right? I do not believe in the cultural narrative that you are hardwired and predisposed genetically to be homosexual. I do not believe. There is no scientific consensus that homosexuality is genetic, only anomalies to that. So I want to say that up front. I I also don't believe in the cultural narrative that sexuality is what makes you complete as a human being and that expressing that is unhealthy. I don't believe that at all. You are more than your sexuality and your sexual life, okay? On December the 4th of this past year, in a series that I did called Deconstruction, I did an entire message on same-sex, LGBTQ, transgendered. So I'm telling you, you can go back to our YouTube channel, Facebook, iTunes. If you want to get kind of my whole thinking on that or the biblical thinking on that, you're more than welcome to look at. But I spent a whole Sunday uh, talking about that. It's how we kicked off the Christmas season around here, you know. At the altar, we sang joy to the world, and it just ushered us into a glorious Christmas, okay? So back to the question, I'm same-sex attracted, what should I do? I want to answer it this way, all right? You're not defined by your temptations. You are not defined, your self-image, you know, and who you think you are, you're not defined by your temptations, all right? People face Many temptations on their journey to faith and their journey to Christ. Violence, pornography, there are even heterosexual issues and how we think, you know, as well. So we're not, you know, uh, heterosexual sins. So we're not defined by our temptations and we are not a slave to our passions, okay? So your identity is this, okay? Just answering if you're a believer here and you're struggling with this, your identity is this. You are a child of God. You have been saved. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. And the Lord loves you as his son or daughter. That's how I want you to view yourself, number one. Okay? All right, the second part of that is be strong 
in the face of temptations. We don't all have the same weaknesses. We don't all have the same temptations. We are wrestling with different parts of our past and what's going on in our life. And, and these temptations remind us that we are all fallen sons and daughters from Adam who need you know salvation and grace through Jesus Christ. If you are tempted to live out a lifestyle or and to anyone, if there's temptation in your life, that does not mean you're some kind of spiritual failure at all. You are just facing temptation like everyone else, all right? The third thing that I want to say to you, the Bible says we're to resist evil instincts, all right? 1 Peter 2, 1 says, abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. So Peter narrows it down not to just generic, you know, generic things, you know, temptations. He says to everyone, everyone, all right, uh, abstain from those sinful desires that war against your soul. Listen, it is a deep, dark pathway when people start to walk down sexual sin, any sexual sin. I want you to know that. But he says it wars against the soul. So he's a reminder to everyone that people have this battle on the inside of your heart. And he says, don't, don't go that way. You know, don't go that way. Don't follow that way. I want to say something else to you. Let your growth and walk with the Lord be a priority. Don't be fixated by your temptations only. Okay, sometimes that's all that's on our mind. I want to say, let your growth and your walk with the Lord, you know, be a priority. Let your passion for God be great. Immerse yourself in the liberating power of God's Word. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get involved with the local church. Don't sit back and go, hey, because I've got this issue that I cannot walk in the fullness of what God would have me to do. I say, you're wrong. You start to love the Lord. You start to walk in his power and his presence. You fight that temptation with growth that you may have in your own life. Also, walk in holiness to the Lord. Walk in holiness to the Lord. I say this to everyone. Every part of our life we should give over to the Lord and to live pleasing to the Lord sexually. Every part of our life. And that would be heterosexuality as well. Walk in holiness and in, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Last thing I want to say, uh, talking and praying with others can be helpful. Sometimes we think that we have to walk in silence with this, that we can't talk about it, we can't share about it. You know, I'm in a church, so I've just got to walk this battle out alone. And I say, no, no, you don't. No, no, you don't. There are brothers and sisters here, you know, who would be open to praying with you if you feel comfortable with that. You don't have to do that, but if you feel comfortable with that, you don't have to battle this by yourself, you know, the, you know with, with shame or, or whatever. You don't. So you can pray with others because I believe there can be hope and healing and that God can help untangle some things in your life, maybe some emotions that you were going through. I believe that there is physical healing through the power of the cross and emotional healing through the power of the cross as well. So I don't want you to think, you know, that, hey, i got to walk this out by myself. You don't. If you're part of this family, we love you. We care about you. We don't toss people out because they're feeling or, or thinking a certain way. We are all just trying to, you know, take those rough edges of our life, let God's grace cover them and get closer to Jesus. 
There's a person that I want you to follow as well. His name is Sam Alberry. And I came across Sam a couple years ago. Sam is an Anglican priest, okay? But a few years ago, he, he said, hey, I'm dealing with same-sex attraction, all right? He said, but I'm not, I'm not going to let this override my love for God. I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be transparent about this. I'm going to be open. I want you to pray for me. I'm going to live holy before the Lord. I'm going to live by God's word. But I'm not going to let... I'm not going to let this, this temptation in my heart consume and shackle me from walking forward in my, in, my, in my freedom to the Lord. So I started following him. He's got some amazing things as he's going through this journey. So I just say, why don't you, you know, if you want to read some of his things about this, I think, I think he can bring some enlightenment there as well. One, one other thing, they, they've got my email address. They're going to put it up on the screen. I want you to know if you have any issues, you have any questions. Nobody reads this but me. You can email me. You can talk with me, whatever you want to say. You know, even if you disagree with me this morning, I want you to know that you're welcome. And I would love the, the, the opportunity to dialogue with you about that. But if, that's, if, you're, if you're struggling with that, man, I just, I just say we're going to pray. We're going to help. We're going to walk with you. That's what a family is. Amen? All right. I want to say, too, if you've been going here a while and you hear things like that, you know, in, from the pulpit or whatever, you've got to know that the world has changed. Okay? And I just think this is going to be on the forefront of the church for decades to come. And we cannot, we cannot just be silent and not acknowledge that this exists because we're going to wall up the walls of the church to a younger generation because we have no bridge, we don't listen, we don't talk, we don't dialogue. So the church has got to navigate through this with grace and truth. So you may hear this and go, what is happening to our world? I would agree with you, but as the church, we've got to be open. If we're ever going to reach people with the gospel, we've got to have conversations with them. We've got to approach this with grace and truth, okay? All right. Third question, why do I have trials that seem to come one after another? All right. Now, hundreds of people could have asked this question. All right. I think we all think about that at some point. You know, we're like, Lord, what is going on? What is happening in my life, there is persecution, there is sickness, there's personal spiritual battles, financial issues. Sometimes we complicate this with poor choices on our own. There are things that are happening in our life that we don't understand, and we're going through tests and trials. I just want to give you a little encouragement to this as well. During your season of trials, I want you to remember that God is working in you, okay? These are not absent. This is not a punishment, okay? In the season of trial, God is working in our heart. Now, look, look what First Peter says. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Verse 12, 1 Peter 1 and 12. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though some strange thing has happened to you, okay? So he says, don't be shocked when you're going, what is going on in my life? I, where's that card? I need to ask that question. What is, what is happening? He says, don't be surprised at this because God is at work in your life. Sometimes we think tests and trials are a sign of God's absence, but I'm telling you, he says right here, I'm in the midst of this. I'm in the midst of what's going on in your life. This is not something absent from my hand or my presence, but I'm, I'm trying to do some things in your life. Look what he says. Greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have suffered grief and all kinds of trials. These have come. Why? To prove so that the proven genuineness of your faith Greater worth than gold, which is perishes by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So I want to say to you, when you're going through these, God is at work. God's doing something in you that you cannot see. There's something that the Lord saw in your life. Maybe sometimes it's imperceivable to ourselves that he said, you know what? I, I, I need to, we, there needs to be some growth and maturity. But he said, listen to me. Look at this passage. He said, what I'm doing in you is of greater value than gold. I'm doing something in you. You can't assess the value of what I am doing. He, he gives us a, a, a physical term. It's more valuable than gold. All right. But it's hard to quantify that internally. He said, but I'm doing something that is of great value in your life. So sometimes we do not have a sense of appreciation of, of what God's doing in our life, especially in a time of trial. Amen. How many of us are praying for deliverance, right? God, get me out of here. Satan, you're a liar. Get behind me. Get out of my life. And the Lord's going, you know what? You know, you've been saved for a long time. There's some, there's some things I need to do in your life. There's some things I need to do in your life. You know, like with my kids, when they were smaller, I could have, I could have, you know, they, they would have never had to work. I could have just given them money. I mean, I could have just, you know, just I could have removed every obstacle in their life and made life really easy for them. I, I could have done that. But you know what? I realize that there's a world out there that I need to prepare them for. So if you, if you have to stay up late for a school assignment or you have to work a shift that you don't want to work or, you know, uh, doing some things around the house that you don't like, that matures them and prepares them for what's down the road. And I want to say the same with you. He did not just save us, you know, just for salvation purposes, but he wants to grow, us to grow in our faith and our walk with the Lord. So I want to say, don't be shocked when you're going through these things, but the right prayer you need to pray is not the prayer of deliverance per se. It is the prayer of, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to learn? Lord, have your way in my life. That's the more appropriate prayer. And then when you get through, but Lord, as soon as that's done, get me out of this mess here. As soon as I learn that, I want to be done. All right, so he's doing something 
God is working in you, but let me look at this. He's also using you as well. He's also using you as well. So Paul is in the worst jail that you could ever imagine. It is awful. It is awful. Philippians 1, 12. Here's what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Okay? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So he came to this begrudgingly, but he said, you know what? I don't like being in this jail, but you know what? Here's the fruit that's coming out of that, that the gospel's going forth. You know, he talked about the palace guards. They're seeing this. And he said, other people are being encouraged because of what I'm walking through. The faith of others was uh, reignited. So there was evangelism and there was encouragement that was having because he was walking through a trial. So listen to me. I want to say what is happening to you is not necessarily about you. What is happening to you is not necessarily about you. God is using your trial. Other people are watching. Other people are seeing. God is using you in the midst of adverse circumstances. Uh, People are watching, you know, what you're going through and how you are and how you're handling that. So I want to say God has not forgotten you in this season. Romans 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, patient in affliction, patient in affliction because he's doing something. He's doing something in you, faithful in prayer. Trusting God is not hard in the season of affluence and blessing. Trusting God in the season of trial, adversity, and uncertainty is when maturity and growth in our faith really occur. Now say amen to that. You know that's right. You know that's right. All right? Trusting God in the season of trial, adversity, and uncertainty is when maturity and growth in our faith really occur. So I don't have an answer about the frequency of that. That season, things seem to come back to back. But I'm just saying, when you're walking through that, God's hand is not off of you. He's doing something in you. We want to we learn, grow, and mature, okay? All right, my last question, <clears throat> last question for this morning. How is it, that you can commit horrible sins, killing and raping, yet asking for forgiveness before you die and go to heaven. Okay, really good question. Now, I know who wrote this, okay, because you emailed it to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer this, and you may think it's a little aggressive in the way that I answer it, I don't really mean it that way. I think it's a great question, or I wouldn't have brought it here, but I don't want you maybe to be offended with the tone of how I, how I answer that. So I just want to say that up front. I think, it's a, I think it's a great question, and I think it's a fair question. So Jesus, Jesus had an experience that can help us understand and kind of give some light to this question. So Luke chapter 7, Jesus is at the home of Simon the Pharisee. All right, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hands, her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner, okay? So this, this question is kind of encapsulated into this story. So Jesus is at the home of Simon the Pharisee, okay? He's there for dinner. Simon the Pharisee. So he's a religious man, by the law of Moses, okay, he's been raised as a Pharisee. He knows all the Pharisee rules and laws. He obeys the Sabbath. So he's kind of a, a religious man as qualified by the law of Moses. He's also a self-righteous man. He kind of has a higher opinion of himself, and he's blinded by his own self-righteousness, okay? He sees no need for forgiveness or the work of the Lord in his own life, he's only looking at this woman and comparing his life against that of the sinful woman. And he assumes that her sins are much worse than mine. The question used the term horrible sins. So that her sins are horrible. Okay, so he's, he's blind to that. So here's the sinful woman, okay? So, it uses the term sinful woman. So, by that, I don't think he's talking about shoplifting, okay? Can we just, can you just go there mentally, sinful woman, okay? So, that's, that, that's probably accurate, okay? Her name is not given in this passage. She is only known in this story by her past, her sins, and her failures. She's the sinful woman. If you are here today and your community identity or your self-identity is wrapped up to what you've done wrong in the past, then I want you to listen to this story. She comes to Simon's home. She's, not, she's uninvited. She's not invited to the dinner, but she comes and, and she barges in. What is going on in her life that is so bad and so desperate that you would come into someone's home uninvited and approach the guest of honor? All she's got is this little alabaster bar box of perfume. And she kneels at the feet of Jesus, the most precious possession that she has. And she's at his feet. He's in the middle. Everybody else is quiet. It's a hushed moment. What is going on? All right. And she begins to weep and she begins to cry and she takes that perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet in a, in a way that they used to do, you know, when they would wash feet. This is a little different with her own tears becomes the water and her hair becomes the towel and in this very emotional moment this sinful woman these horrible sins she sits there 
at the feet of Jesus, okay? And he knows her past. He knows what she's done, and he lets her do it. And I want to talk about that in just, just a second. So listen to me. If you commit a crime, if you commit a crime in the state of Florida, okay, the state, the law of the state has, that was broken has to be satisfied. You can't, if you break a law, you can't just walk away from it. You are held accountable by the state of Florida. You've got to account for what you've done. We understand that. It's a, a judicial law. We understand that. I don't want to say there's a great similarity with the law of God. If you commit a sin, the law of God is broken and it has to be satisfied. You can't just forget it. A law is broken, so there's got to be some accountability to the broken law. So with you and I, when, when we come to the Lord or before we come to the Lord and we sin, our sins just pile up. And they just get worse. And there's no recourse, you know, for getting rid of our sins. And not only, you know, does it get worse, our heart gets darker and our, you know, and our, our, our actions and behaviors get worse. We call this a sin debt. It's a sin debt. It just piles up and gets greater and greater. And everyone wrestles with, how do I get rid of our sin debt? Okay? That's where Jesus came in on the cross. We were prisoners. We were slaves. We had broken the law. We had no answer for our own sin debt and our, own, <clears throat> and our actions and behaviors. He could have punished us. He could have punished us for our sin debt, but he chose through the power of the cross to forgive our sin, okay? So we're like prisoners because we've broken the law. There's accountability to the law. We have no answer for how to satisfy this. Colossians 2 says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We're sitting in that jail cell. We have no way out. And Jesus said, hey, the law has accountability. The law was broken, okay? So we can't just ignore it, but I'm going to take care of your sin debt. You're free. Open the prison door. You're not a slave anymore. Come on, come on out. John 1.22 says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. By, by what he did. So the question, going back to the question, it's, uh, it makes a distinction between horrible sin and less horrible sin. How, do, how, do, how does God forgive horrible sins? Well, horrible sin is relative to the person. Like Simon the Pharisee didn't see his own sin. He saw the horrible sin that she had committed. So horrible is, is relative to the person. But I want you to know, to God, all sin is horrible. 
It's all horrible. There's all, it's all terrible before God. And there's this thinking as well that the worse the sin is, the less eligible we are for forgiveness. The worse that it is, the more horrible that it is, then, then we're not eligible for forgiveness because of our horrible actions. But the truth of that is, Jesus tells us that the worse our sins are, the more eligible we are for forgiveness and the more grateful we are for that forgiveness. Isn't that great? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus, while she's there, he said, hey, for those of you that are questioning what's going on, he said, I want to tell you a story. He said, there were two people, you know, that, uh, that owed debts. One on, I'm just going to use, you know, a dollar figure. One owed $10,000. The other owed a hundred. And the, the person that, that, that they owed the money to forgave them both. Gave the one that owed 10000 gave the one that owned a hundred. He said, now, who do you think was more appreciative of that forgiveness. And of course, of course, you know the story. So those that have been forgiven much more, they have much more gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation for that. So, so the question was about horrible sins. Can God forgive? You know, why would God forgive horrible sins? So I want to come with a reverse on that. So are we saying that the cross of Jesus is only for minor infractions? Is that what we're saying? That the bad stuff, no, you should answer for that. So the cross of Jesus, the whole cross of Jesus is now good only for shoplifting, running stop signs, and dine and dash. Some of you don't know what dine and dash is, but some of you do, and you need to stop that too. You need to stop that. Worship team, you can come. So I want to answer this question, okay? I want to answer this question. So if a person is a horrible person, convicted by the Holy Spirit, truly confessed and asked Jesus to forgive him or her, he would. He would. And I want to say this. I have no problem in heaven standing shoulder to shoulder in the choir of the redeemed with the worst of the worst singing holy 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 is the lamb that was slain i have no problem with that if that person is genuine in their confession repentance and acceptance of christ as lord then there is no sin that cannot be forgiven and no person that cannot be born again so why it may seem unfair a little bit, okay? To the people that have committed horrible sins, they're grateful, okay? So it's for anyone. So I don't want you, because sometimes there's that thinking out there, kind of like, hey, I've, I've done some really bad stuff. And I, I, you know, I'm struggling with forgiveness, all right? So some of you, you, you may be one of the horrible sinners. And you go, man, I feel a little awkward when I come to church. When I raise my hands, sometimes you can't worship because you're reminded of what you, you used to do, what used to happen in your life. You don't want to serve. 
because you're, I'm not worthy of that. Hey, listen, listen. I don't care what you've done. Everybody here is free this morning. That debt has been paid. I want you to, you know, to walk away from that kind of self-condemnation. I want you to know the full joy of forgiveness. He said, for the ones that have forgiven the most, they will have the greatest song of worship. There is something that you are missing because you cannot push through forgiving yourself and, and enjoy the freedom of worship that comes when God's forgiven you of horrible sins. I could ask the question too, hey, if there's anybody here today that hadn't committed a horrible sin, would you please stand? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But we all look in our life and go, there's some bad stuff in my life. There's some bad stuff in my life. So we're all forgiven. All the, the, the law that was broken, we are shackled and chained prisoner of our sin. Jesus forgave it on the cross. He forgave every sin. Every sin. Listen to me. I don't care what you have done in your life. There is hope, forgiveness, and freedom through the power of the cross. You accept that freedom. You walk in that freedom. And don't look back to the, to the prison cell that you came out of. All right? Colorado State Penitentiary. I follow this account on Instagram. It's called God Behind Bars. I followed it a year or so ago. And it's been amazing because it's the story of stories of people who've been incarcerated and just seeing how God in the midst of horrible sins is saving people and doing things and, and, and people aren't cast off. You know, like you've done so bad, you're in jail, so the grace of God cannot invade, you know, a, 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 a prison wall. So I, I've been... I just follow them because it's encouraging to me because I love the stories of redemption. I love the stories of transformation. And I just came across a little video that I want to show from God behind bars and just kind of give you a sense of what's going on. They sing a song that we sing as well. But I want you to, I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this video. You are here, moving in the I worship you, I worship you. You are here. Sorry, come on, choir. Sing that again, you're here. You are here
building this morning we give thanks to God for his forgiveness of sin his grace across the building a bunch of formal horrible sinners can we give him thanks this morning come on let's praise him for a moment let's praise him this morning let's thank him Lord we thank you for your grace we are prisoners set free we're not slaves anymore for walking in freedom and wholeness this morning. Oh, we worship you. We worship you. Come on, just for another moment, I want you to give him praise. Give him praise this morning, deep praise. Thank you, Lord. 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 We're gonna sing this song again, okay? And if you need prayer this morning, Lord, like for anything, first of all, if you're going through a trial, a season of adversity, you don't understand, you just need some prayer, you need somebody just come lay hands on you and pray, some encouragement in you, I want you to come down to the front. If you're walking through, maybe you struggle with unforgiveness in your life, maybe you're one that cannot shake off that mental hurdle of what you used to be, what you used to be known with and walk in 
in to that child of God. I want you to come for prayer. If you're here this morning, man, and you just want to be forgiven, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm far away from the Lord. I need to get my life right with God this morning. There are people that will pray with you this morning. So we're going to sing that again. We're going to open these altars. Whatever you have need this morning, we have people that will come and pray with you this morning. Let's sing that again this morning. Thank you, Lord. We make a Thank you, Lord. Work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Darkness, my God, that is who you are. Come find your place at the front this morning. We make a miracle work, a promise keeper. Come find your place up here. Even when 
I, I want to pray this prayer this morning. If you're here today and you know God has forgiven you, but in your mind you have not been able to walk free of that, you still connect yourself even as a believer to the chains of the past, I, I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray, I pray for those to walk in the fullness of your grace. Lord, you've forgiven and you have restored and the enemy would sow seeds of doubt about that full work of forgiveness and grace and about their future. The enemy would say, because of this, you can't do this. But Lord, your grace says you have forgiven and freed and a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. That's your old chapter, your old life, and you've got something new. And I just pray today, I pray today, in the name of Jesus, that people would start to walk into that next chapter, Lord. They'll, they'll leave that unforgiveness, that self-condemnation self, uh, behind. Self-condemnation behind. And Lord, they're going to walk in the fullness and the freedom of the grace. Lord, that full song of worship, that full appreciation of God's grace. Lord, that will be done. God, I pray as they speak this morning, that full work of forgiveness will be done. If that's you, if that's you, I want you to say, Lord, forgive me for the last time on that. And I want you to walk in newness, newness of life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're going through a season and a trial, God's got his hand on you. Brent, let's sing that part even if I don't see it. Even when I don't see it, sing it. Working. Even when I don't feel it, I promise you. I promise you. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. One more time, as a group of gathered horrible sinners, all right, former sinners walking in the grace of God across the building, can we give him thanks for his salvation? Canceling our sin debt. I'm a new person. I'm a new person. I'm a new person. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. You're not known anymore by the sins of your past. Okay? Now, people may say that to you, but God doesn't see you that way. 
we don't see you that way. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.